All right, here we go on the five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to everything you need to know about music. And tonight, I, Jason, and sitting with my friends, Kevin. Say what's up, Kevin. Hello, Jason. Hello, listeners. And Michael. Say what's up, Mikey. Hello, Jason. Welcome, gentlemen. How are we, how are we doing tonight? Pretty good. Good? Good. Sore, but good. Sore, but good. Little little workout soreness? Yes. Yes, there was. That's always good. Um, before we get into tonight's episode, a couple of housekeeping things. Then oh. we'll get into This Is My Jam. Are we in trouble? Uh, no. But I thought we would maybe start a new segment, when applicable, called The Mailbag, because I got a couple of emails I wanted to bring up tonight. I love it. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> um, but before we even get to that, I wanted to say hello to all the people in Poland, because we are charting on the Polish podcast very highly. And I don't know how to say hi in Polish, but to all those people in Poland listening, hello. So are we going to take this on the road at some point and do it in Warsaw? <laughs> that would be great. I would love to I'm do in. that. Okay. If they'll have us, we'll do it. Um, three emails that I want to go through very quickly. Okay. One is directed at Kevin, and two are Uh-oh. just directed in general. One, I guess, is directed to me then. And I'll go to that one first. Um, someone wrote, I'm not going to use their name just because I don't think that would be appropriate. So they wrote, really? Question mark, overanalyzing, easy lover of all the songs to do ahead of that one. You pick that. And I will say to that, yes, agreed. There are probably far better songs to overanalyze, but I do truly love that song, and I felt like it needed to be done. So I'll respond to that. Okay. Second email was at Kevin. Uh, Kevin, in the One Hit Wonders podcast, you incorrectly, apparently, Uh used the term nom de plume. I know. And it's only for authors, according to this person, and it's more of a stage name. A stage name. (laughs) You should have said. So to that person, we apologize. Guilty as charged. (laughs) Which I didn't, I think, but, but. I didn't pick up on that. Nor did I. But not to be pedantic, but if he is the writer of the song, could that not be a nom de plume? Wait, so Elvis can never be. (laughs) He can never. He can never. That is never his. Okay. Got that in early. Right, yeah, exactly. You just knock it out. So yeah, there's that. And lastly, someone complimented on the background vocals that Kevin guessed correctly on the Bob Seger song Fire Lake as being the Eagles. Oh. And so because of that, when I got that email, I looked for a song that I knew had background vocals from another group. And I wanted to use it tonight as my This Is My Jam. So I want to pull it up real quick. You put me on the spot again to guess? I am going to put you on the spot again to guess, Kevin. And I think you will get it. Um, and, and to give you a bit of a, like a head start, it is a song by the group Chicago. And the name of the song is Wishing You Were Here. Ooh. Now, when I looked for that song, I was driving. And I didn't realize that I have three songs in my song catalog of of iTunes where I keep all my songs. Three songs called Wishing You Were Here. Well, actually, one is Wish You Were Here, second one is Wish You Were Here, and the third one is Wishing You Were Here. Can you guess which ones they are? So, one's Pink Floyd. Correct. So, yes, that is this one. There's another Wish You Were Here? Yeah. That's this. That's the Pink Floyd. That's that's Floyd. Yeah. Second one, Mike, you might know? I knew Pink Floyd. uh, It's like Tupac or something? No. Incubus. Oh, yes. Great song. Great song. So I was fumbling through that one until I got to this song. 
And this is Chicago's song called Wishing You Were Here. Now, let me play a little bit for you. This came out in October of 1974. Terry Kath is on lead vocals. Peter Cetera wrote it. And Peter Cetera is singing background, background harmonies with whom? And please, Kevin, give Mike at least a 10 to 15 second head start. So hold on. Does it sound like anyone or any group? A little bit. Any guesses? Oh, you want me to guess? If you'd like. Um, Toto. Good guess, no. Kev? Hold on, let me play one. Hold on. Right here. Any guesses? I, I don't have it. The Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. Like all of them? Three of them. Okay. Apparently, in Caribou Ranch, which was a big ranch that was bought by the Chicago Boys, they would all hang out together. I guess Chicago opened for the Beach Boys quite a bit, and the Beach Boys would open for Chicago quite a bit back and forth at the time. And they were recording at the time. They said, you want some harmonies on that? And so they did the background harmonies for this song, which I thought was really cool. Now it's it's evident. Now 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 you're here, right? Now I got it, but did not get it. That is the classic like three-part harmony Beach Boys style stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Right. So that is my jam this week. Excellent. Right. Mikey. So this is the newest This Is My Jam I've ever done. This oh. is like the most, most recent recently. song. Oh, wow. I think Royals was probably the most recent before this. <laughs> yeah. And that's 10 years old now. So uh, very excited about this one. It's by my favorite group, who <laughs> oh, you some say. listeners may know if they've heard me on here. Um, this was released on April 19th of this year uh, off their new album, but here we are. And... Uh, it's definitely old school Foo Fighters. Uh, really? Sounds great. Love this song. It's the best song they've come out with in at least three or four albums. Wow. Oh, that's so big for you the, to say. This is the opening or the lead single off this uh, album called Rescued. Okay. This was the opening song or the lead single, you said? Lead single. Lead single. Okay. Both, actually. Oh, is it? It's also the opener. Yeah, good. Classic Foo Fighter sound. Definitely for sure. This is definitely something you're working out to and running to. That's no, got a lot of energy. On what? Yeah. <laughs> is is Dave on drums there? Dave is on drums for the recording. Yep. Oh wow! No kidding. Yep. How is the new drummer? How do you feel? I like him. Yeah. You know, it's almost impossible to re- replace Taylor. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if the chemistry is there yet. It seem, they seem to be fine, but it's just. What is the like? But like, he's really the, good. The 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 talk of like all the big Foo Fighter fans and everything. It's like fifty fifty. Half the people I see on like comments on Instagram are like, "You can't replace Taylor." And yeah. The other half are like, "This guy's." Amazing. He has the chops, Josh though. I'm Reeves. sure, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he would. Yeah. I mean, he's been with some huge acts before. This. Oh no, kidding. Um. So, he's really good. Oh, cool. So my I'm buddies. And, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, my, you know, my buddies and I. There's three of us that we listen to one new album every week, and we rotate who picks it. I picked this album. I guess 
two weeks ago, I think. Yeah. And it was pretty well received by the group. Yeah. Definitely, we said it's got that classic Foo Fighter sound and yeah. um, nice ear no back. Yeah. No doubt. All rock stuff like that, or do they slow it down? Uh, a bit they do they do slow it down. Yeah. There's a there's a wide mix, but yeah, more of this, more of the classic Foo Good. Fighter sound that we're missing from maybe. The does one he or write two a lot? Does they write most of the songs? Pretty much, pretty everything. much all of them. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. I remember you saying that. Yeah, Taylor had a song a uh, few albums back, but it's mostly Dave. Gotcha. Cool. That's a good one. All right, Kev, gentlemen, this is my jam right now. Whoa. Do I know this? So do you recognize it yet? No. Nope. Give Give the gong and the timpani a couple, couple okay. more seconds. We'll get to the meat of it. So Kevin's kind of a song, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> Any idea? Not a clue. It sounds like from a movie. It does. Like Ben-Hur. Or... Like, it's very familiar. It is, yeah. It's, almost, it's theatrical. It's cinematic. Is it... Lawrence of Arabia or something like that? No. What? What is it? No, wait a minute. It's, it's Star, Star Wars? No. No? Something. It's the new frontier. Sounds like something like Indiana Jones. It's Is it anything by John Williams? No. God. It is an American, though. Actually, is John Williams American or is he British? I think he's British. He's British, you're right. Guys, I don't know. This is Aaron Copeland. One of our great American composers. Okay. This is called Fanfare for the Common Man. Okay. You guys have never. You guys don't. I don't know think it? I've ever heard I this. Know. It sounds familiar. Uh, I've heard. I've heard it. So I've heard it. I just can't think of where. I, I can't place. I it was going to ask you if it evoked any sort of imagery for you guys. Clearly, you thought. I thought a movie from a movie, right? Um, for me, it reminds me of the space program. Yeah. 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 Okay. At, I thought, because it was in the movie The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe, um, but it's not. But I'm guessing when we were kids, remember we used to have film strips? By the way, our yeah. kids will never know what a film projector <laughs> is, like a real film projector is, right? Like a real to right. but, yeah, yeah, like a reel-to-reel, yeah. right? But they would roll the film strip in, and we would watch like the Apollo program yeah. or the Mercury program. I swear, this song had to be played by that. Again, he's an American See, composer. now that you say that, I see like shuttles yeah. and like things. Like, yeah. I see that with this in the background. Yes. Yeah. So let me tie this up, though. Why? Yeah, this why is, is this, this my jam? Like, yeah. Sure, it wasn't like Space Camp or something because it really maybe, does. Well, maybe it wasn't. Like, it could yeah. have been in Space Camp. I we have to look I it up. Look at that. I should have checked that out. Yeah. Um, but and this has something to do with school too. So my children went to the same elementary school as yours, Jason. Okay. And mine have been there for fourteen years of that school because I have eight years between my oldest and my oh, youngest. Oh wow. My youngest just ended his tenure there, which ends my tenure at that school. Because um, he was a fifth grader and graduated, as I'll yeah. use air quotes. Yeah. Um, in those 14 years, my kids went on a lot of field trips. Do you know how many I chaperoned? Seven. Mike? One. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> However, this past <laughs> April, until this past April, my wife, who usually did the chaperoning, um, she had other, th- other things come up. I happened to be in town, which is rare for me during the week. Um, so I played chaperone for a trip to, to the Kennedy Space Center. Oh, wow. Have you guys been to the Kennedy Space Center? Yes, I mean, but it's been years. So it's Mike, been I mean, decades. We, we've lived here for 40 years in Florida. I have never been there before. I went to like the Titusville Beach to watch a launch once, but I never went into the center. So that's where we went. 
I gotta tell you, I was godsmacked no walking kidding. in there. Um, you got the Atlantis space shuttle like hanging. Yeah. Um, you've got you see the lunar rover. Wow. And then the awesome. 363-foot Saturn V rocket, or Saturn V rocket, right. um, that's suspended from the ceiling. It is absolutely awe-inspiring. Um, and this song immediately came into my head when I was sitting there looking really? at it. Really? Yeah. Yep. It gave me great pride as an American because you know, there's been 12 human beings that have been on the moon. Do you want to guess how many of them are, are American? Eight. Mike? 11. 12. All 12. All of them. We are 12 and 0 first the rest of the world. For 12. And we're getting ready to send people back no here fairly kidding. soon. Yeah. Hard to believe, though, it's been over 50 years since we last put somebody on the moon. Um, but one final thing about the trip, other than again, I was just, I was absolutely impressed yeah. with the Kennedy Space Center. Um, I feel like that song should be on repeat all day. Right. In the Welcome Center or the lobby or the gift shop. Yep. Right? Yeah. So totally. as for my chaperoning job, I was responsible for just. One child, mine. Yeah, right. That's it. It's like the teachers did not want to give the rookie any more than they thought I could handle. <laughs> so that's the highlight. That's probably the only time I'll ever chaperone. Glad so it was, it was the more Space of like Center. a trip that you went on with your son, but they all, everyone else happened to be there. Pretty much. <laughs> we all rode the same bus over it, so. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's, that's my great. Jam. That's good. Awesome. Okay. All right. Well done. Well done, everybody. All right. Let's get into it. Into tonight's episode where I am going to be doing someone that... I've wanted to do for a very long time, but felt um, not overwhelmed, but I felt like I couldn't do it justice. And so I wanted to do as, as good of a job as I could with this person because he is so important to so many different genres of music that I love. He was such an influence. So I'm just going to tell you who I'm going to do. Tonight, I am going to do the hardest working man in showbiz, the godfather of soul, Mr. Dynamite. Soul brother number one, James Brown. Fantastic. And here's why. I knew he needed to be done because of how important he was, but I, I didn't realize how important and how influential he really was until oh, yeah. I dug through so many of the things that he did and how vast of a, of a lifespan he had. He, just real quick, from 1953 to 2002, he released... 59 studio albums. Wow. 49 wow. compilation albums, 15 live albums, and 144 singles. I mean, it's That's absolutely amazing. insane. He's, he's prolific. Very prolific. Um, he was one of the first 10 inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame mm-hmm. in uh, 1986, the inaugural in, uh, induction. The first class. First class. Brown was born May 3rd, 1933. He died December 25th, Christmas, 2006. He was known really as a live performer, which we're going to talk a little bit about as we go through this. He and his group called The Famous Flames, which were his backing band. James and the Flames. James and the Flames, also known as uh, the James Brown Band, the James Brown Orchestra, and then later the JBs. This guy really liked his name. I mean, he really, <laughs> really liked his well, name. Well, so distinct. James Brown. <laughs> yeah, know, that's true. Um, quick thing about his, uh, his early life. They don't actually know because his death certificate, or excuse me, his birth certificate. He's either born 1933 or 1928. They don't know for sure. Um, Wait. 
Yeah. Either 1933 Which isn't like one year off, but five. That's like a significant discrepancy. It's a big deal. And like, it's not like the numbers look close. No, not even close at all. Okay. Um, he was born James Joseph Brown or Joseph James Brown. They don't know that either. So they don't know if that's his middle name, first name, middle name, or middle name, first name. We don't know that either. Okay. Um, he was born in the pine forest of Barnwell, South Carolina, in a wooden shack devoid of any windows, no water, no toilet, electricity, gas, or any running water. He was an only child, an alcoholic and abusive father, and his mother left because his father tried to kill her, and so she left when he was four. So from a very early age, he was basically alone most of the time, going like place to place, and just grew up alone. Really, really sad upbringing. Wow. Really awful. Um, skipping to when he was 15, he was arrested for robbery and received an either an 8 to 16 year sentence in prison. Wait, they don't know which? No, no, no. So it was a okay. minimum of 8 to possibly oh, 16. So he, he was doing 8 to 16. Got it. So in Georgia, in juvenile training institution, and he there started a gospel group because he figured this might get me on the good graces and maybe I'll only have to do 8 instead of the full 16. Yep. And so this group, Bobby Bird and his family gospel choir, would come and visit to entertain the young you know, uh, kids that were in there. He met James and basically said, look, we want to take this kid with us. We promise to give him a good quality home and a place to stay, and we'll, we'll put him under our care. And the prison let him go after three years. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So he joins this group, the Gospel Starlighters. And in 1954, he goes on tour with this group and meets an incredible young piano player, and they become great friends. And that piano player was, Kev? Little Richard. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So What a combo. He and Little Richard start to get real friendly. Yeah, right? What an, uh, an energetic combo. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> he and Little Richard, on the back of a napkin, write the first big hit he has, which is called Please, Please, Please. That's so good. 1956. Like, this is doo-wop. This is pure 50s doo-wop. And we're going to talk about this song, Please, 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 later on in the podcast, because this became a staple for him for decades. But just listen. Oh, so, so wait, good. it's doo-wop, but yeah, it is doo-wop. dripping with soul, man. Oh, so, for sure. For so sure. much more soulful right. than, than a lot of the doo-wop that was right. out there. I, I totally the agree. Thing. I totally agree with you. Um, in 1958, so well, let me go back. So he sells a million copies. They sell a million copies of that song, which was enormous at the right. time, right? So they come out with the next song, which in 1958, which is Try Me. Try you ever heard this? Oh, I love Great. this song. Love this song. Right? When I first heard this song, I didn't know it was James Brown. Honestly, I, didn't. I was like, who is this? I couldn't recognize the voice. But that soul right there. So anyway, 1962, we'll skip to now, and he comes out with this album, Live at the Apollo, which absolutely catapulted his, uh, his career into this ultra, ultra stardom. Because people, for the first time, instead of hearing it cleanly produced on albums, got to hear what he sounded like live. So I just want to play real quick one of the songs. This is I'll Go Crazy, so you can hear how he performed. This is 1962. 
This sold also a million copies and stayed on the charts for 14 months. Isn't that great? I mean, there's like, like, like Beatles-like screams in there. So that album is fantastic. Absolutely, I'm pretty fantastic. sure it's on the 1001. It album is. Show us here before you die. Yeah, it I is. Was, and that was one of the ways I was going to do this podcast. To do the, the album. And I'm like, no, I can't just do that album. There, there's so much more to talk about with him. No, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So. All right. So with the fame of everything that I just mentioned, in 1962 he releases a fur his first of many record labels called Try Me Records. And one of the famous people that actually he hired was Tammy Montgomery, who then later changed her name to Tammy Terrell. Oh, my. He actually had a little thing with Tammy Terrell. She was 17 at the time, but she left not only the label, but also him because of his abusive behavior. And that's going to be a reoccurring theme throughout the rest of his life as well. Like like father, father, like son, son, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, bummer. Yeah, so I'm going to skip to 1965 because absolutely that was the biggest year for him. And I got to play This Is My Song Number One because I'm really going to try to do this in three songs even though I already played three. (laughs) But I'm going to try to do it in three songs. And song number one has to be this. This is Papa's Got a Brand New Bag. When you think of songs of the 60s, yeah. How is this not in the top ten? It's got to be. It has to be, right? It's got to be. Yeah. I think also because most people never heard anything like this. This is so different. Uh, He releases this and becomes a top ten hit and won his first Grammy Award. Papa's Got a Brand New Bag actually came out as a two-part single. So he did that a lot, mainly because he wanted to just kind of keep the groove going. And he started to do a lot of his improvisational stuff where he would kind of call out different members of the band to do certain parts, or he would just kind of like almost improv certain things and just kind of talk and spit different weird things out. And it, and it became funky. He was the beginning stages of like funk music. He, he was a showman. He was a showman. Yeah. And he was creating that energy. Um, this was the first song to reach the top 10. It was number eight, number one as on the R&B charts. Won him his Grammy Award for Best uh, R&B Recording and is ranked number 121 in the Rolling Stone Top 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. Yep. He's got a brand new bag. I was, I was going to say this would be the song I think of for James Brown. Really? I'm, I'm not a big James Brown guy, but this is the song I would think of. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, great. He said this was the beginning of funk. He said that. And it was because he, he, he did something different with like, his voice. Like, think of Try Me or some of the more doo-wop to this. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's totally different. The instrumentation, which we're going to talk a little bit about, um, w- w- was different here than it was before. It wasn't the classic, you know, uh, one, six, four, five doo-wop progression. This is just, it's bluesy and, and yet R&B soul. It, it, it's, it's a combination that was never really done before. Um, I'm not going to count this as, <laughs> as song number two. In the same year, he also releases this. Wow! I feel good. Oh, my God. And his career goes insane. I feel good. I knew iconic. It's an iconic song. I don't know which one I like better. I think it's this one. So good. 
but both are absolutely fantastic. See, I think it's funny that Mike knows the other one better. I think this one was more played, at least that I remember growing up. Yeah. You know, even though we didn't grow up in the 60s. But the horn line? I, I think it's one of the coolest things ever. Oh, we talked about movies. I think this is in a lot of movies. Oh, too. Yeah. Especially, yeah. especially yeah. copies okay. of the yeah. 80s, right? I, knew, I know this one, too. Yeah, yeah I know this one. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, in the same year he comes out with this, he goes back to his roots a little bit with this. This is It's a Man's Man, man It's a Man's 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 World. Mikey, you may not know this one. A little bit more soul, a little bit more slowed down. So good, though. I have heard. You know this one? Uh, that, that, that and this one hit number one as well. All 1965. But it wouldn't be nothing. Great tune. Nothing. I think the uh, orchestration in the back with the strings yeah. is kind of what separates this, right? From, yeah, I think you're right. Stuff. Yeah, it's I not, like it. It's yeah, really me too. Good. It's really, really cool. All right, so we got to get into it. This is really, really kind of where I want to go with this. In 1967, I'm going to put my flag in the sand and say that it was James Brown that specifically this song, this year, this moment in time created the funk movement. Funk wouldn't exist without this, without him. And... It is a song called Cold Sweat. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I really want to spend some time and just go through this real quick. First, I want you to hear it. If you don't know the song, there's an A section and a B section. So there's one part that sounds like something, and it's repeated over and over and over again. Then there's a B section, which sounds the same. It is repeated over and over again. And they go back and forth. A, B, A, B, A, B. Okay, that's easy, right? But I'm going to play it again. I want you to just listen to the way he structures this song. So here's the A section. Listen to the pace. Listen to the horns. I mean, listen to the way. Listen to the drums. Listen to the groove. About your past. Listen to what the bass is doing. Listen to what the drums are doing. And specifically the drums, even though it's in 4-4 time, it's a little draggy to create a space, like a pocket, they call it. Like there's a bit of a groove. It's not one, two, it's not on the clock. It's a little behind to create that funk. So that's the A section. Now let's go into the B section. I want you to hear this. Listen to this. Hear that? I'm going to pause it real quick. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six. Keeps repeating. One, two, three, four, five, six. Over and over again. Just six notes. But in notes one and two are guitar and drums. Notes three and four are the horns. Horns. Five is a guitar strum upwards. And beat six is the horns. So one, two, three, four, five, six. So listen. Listen. Isn't that sweet? It's very cool. Is that, is that the, like syncopation on that ups, upswing yeah, on, the, yeah, uh, on yeah. the guitar? Okay. Really good. You think about this. All right, then we go back to the A section. That's tough to beat for me. That is really tough to beat. So, why am I bringing this up? Not only because it created the first funk record, in my opinion, but... If we were to go to, again, he came out with this as a two-part song. There's Cold Sweat Part 1 and Cold Sweat Part 2. This is Cold Sweat Part 2, 
I'm gonna play this because this is really important, this particular spot right here. By the way, in Cold Sweat, there's only two chords. D and C. That's it. D and C? D and C. That's it. It's in the key of D, goes to C in the B part, back to D in the regular part. So that's one, two? <laughs> no, it's a one, seven. One, really. one, that's seven. It. Yeah. one, seven. All right, so here we go. So now, in part two, this is the part I was telling you that he kind of throws it around. He's going to give a little bit of time to the saxophone player, and he's going to basically just talk over it. Do we know who the sax player was? I don't, I don't have his name. I don't have his name. But again, he really likes his name, so here we go. All right, so... This is it. Listen to this. Let's give the drummer some. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because this part happens. Clyde Stubfield is the drummer. And he doesn't know this has happened. And James just decides to do this. And he goes, you want to give me something? Here we go. This right here is absolutely the beginning of what is called a breakbeat. This is the first breakbeat. Breakbeat. So there'll be a break in the song where the bass and drums just would just have it. And they would just take it for maybe a minute or so, maybe even 30 seconds. And James on these particular albums would talk over it. He would like give us little oohs and ahs and little screams and right. whatever. But those breakbeats, specifically, Mike already knows this, but Kevin, you have to understand, are where hip-hop came from. The breakbeats. The breakbeats. Yep. So these tracks were then searched by what are called crate diggers, the guys that would go through all the old albums in the crates, and specifically they would go to James Brown Records because he did this, he had so many albums, and did this so much, that they would then take these, uh, these records and take those particular breakbeats and isolate them. They would get two copies of the album. They'd put one on one. You can see the turntables where you have like a, a one and a two or like an A and a B. Like the DJ yeah. spinning. The DJ spinning, yeah, right. Yeah. So you'd have the same record on the one and the two. That breakbeat would go. It would end. He'd restart it on the two on the second album. And it would go back and forth and back and forth and just continue that, that for as long as you needed it. And he would invite people up, different crews, different rappers, different whatever, to sing or to rap over those breakbeats. Now, DJ Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, these guys in the early 80s were these guys that, that, that did this. Kind of, kind of pioneered that. Pioneered that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, let, let me ask one yeah. quick question, though, yep. as, as, as this relates. Is it sort of borrowed from jazz, though, other than jazz was isolating, you know, individual instruments and maybe not just the rhythm section? Or I will say... It, it's it's similar to jazz in the sense that he would say, all right, horns, you take it. Jazz does that. Or drums, you take it. Or the bass, you take it. And giving them some time to kind of improvise or explore different themes within the song. Definitely. But those beats were meant to be danced over or to be sung over. Gotcha. Now, he didn't intend not, them not, to be sung over, not James just, Brown. Not, not just straight imp improvisation. Break like, dancing, like for example, okay. is on the break. On the break of the song, Got you it. would do something to highlight or showcase that particular moment in the song. 
Mike was a great break dancer. Was he now? Up, <laughs> I was, I was, yeah. Excellent. So right around this time, this is where, so late 70s, this is starting Grandmaster Flash, DJ Cool Herc. This is when they're starting to come out and do this. But there was something going on at that same time also that was very big at that time as far as music is concerned, and that was disco. So James Brown decided that not only was he, disco was pulling elements from so many different places, but he kind of felt like he missed the boat. So he actually released a disco album in 1979, July of 1979, which happens to be the same month that they declared disco dead, which we've talked about before. But I do want to play you real quick. And again, this is not one of the songs, but I want to play you James, a little bit of James Brown's disco album because this is what it sounds like. This is called James Brown, the original disco man. Now, we just played Try Me... We played I Got You. We played uh, Cold Sweat. And now we have this. When we were kids. Wait, Mike, wait there's, please, just let me hear it. There's his verse real quick. Watch this. Whoa. Okay, now listen to the count. The like the one, two, three, four. One, two. That's syncopated. That's right on the beat. That's four on the floor. That's disco. That is not soul. There's no soul here whatsoever. It's pure disco. Oh. See the difference? Yes, he did no blend at no, all. No, none whatsoever. No, he, he not only claimed that he invented disco, but says on the record in various places that you guys stole all my beats and made them disco beats, and I'm the original disco man. It failed miserably. So it really hurt his career, and he was kind of, at the time, going to maybe fade away into obscurity. But what were you going to say? I interrupted you before. It just it reminded me when we were kids we had an album called Disco Duck which was the okay. Walt Disney version of disco and yep. it was like so basic and and plain disco that's what that sounded like until James broke in then, then it sounded <laughs> yeah. at least a little better yeah, a little bit so he didn't want to make the same mistake that he made with hip hop with disco he said I got to get in on this because he felt like he 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 missed out because of all the breakbeats they stole all the all the breakbeats he got no credit for any of that he was really upset but then he screwed up on the disco thing as well. So he said, you know what, wait, let me, let me maybe go back to my roots. Let me go back to what I do. And he releases an album called Jungle Groove, which is a compilation album. And what he did, which was brilliant, is come up with an album that had some of his greatest breakbeats. And instead of having these guys dig for him, he gave them all to him. And so he comes up with, here's the funky drummer. So let me just go to this. What, what year was this? Now this came out 1984. It might be 82. 82 or 84. No, I'm sorry, 1986 this came out. So this is the funky drummer. And in the funky drummer, there's this breakbeat, which Mike... How many times have we heard this in hip-hop? Yeah, very familiar. Okay. It's been sampled 5,200 times. He is the most sampled artist of all time, James Brown. Let Me Ride by Dr. Dre, F the Police, Fight the Power, Mama Said Knock You Out, Runs House, Beastie Boys, Criss Cross, Tripod Quest, Tripod True Life Crew. Everyone has used this, this breakbeat. 
Okay? It's one of the most popular. In fact, Kevin... <laughs> Wait, and they use this one from 1982? Or or this is going back well, to Well, truthfully, it doesn't matter stuff. which one because they're the same. He re-released he re- Funky it, Drummer from 1970. He gotcha, put it on yep. his 1986 album okay. and gave him and gave them all of the, uh, you know, all the breakbeats. Like, here they are. And in fact, when Sublime decided to do... <laughs> The Grateful Dead, and you're wearing the Grateful Dead shirt, by the way. Song Sar- um, Scarlet Begonias. Yeah. They decided to use this background. Oh, my. Yeah, so here's a blend for you, Kev. And like a little kind of Jamaican sound there. Yeah, well, sublime. Reggae. A little, little ska, uh, right? So. As I was walking down Rubber Square. How mad does that make you? <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> had to do it my point here is my point is is that everyone has used that break by the way is that you getting back at me yes a little bit yes yes thank you yes good i'm glad you noticed that all right so in an amazing twist of meta irony i guess it would be he actually comes out with a song called she looks all kind of good where he samples himself and uses that sample and it goes like this. We're gonna have a real show tonight. I mean, is that hip hop or what? Big time, hundred percent. Right? He did not want to miss out on what everyone else was doing at the time. This gets released 1988. Samples himself, which I think is pretty amazing. That's bold, bold. All right. Anyway, let me move on. Let me give you just a couple more of what he really did as far as breakbeats and funk during get that era. Get fast, hit I mean, is this late 80s hip-hop or what? Totally. Totally, right? This is Get on the Good Foot. So and I think you said it earlier, NWA must have used oh, this yeah. stuff a lot. Okay. Oh, yeah. I would love, I wish there's a way. Now, there's a, there's a website called Who Sampled, and you could put in an artist's name or you could put in a song, and it'll tell you all the different songs that use that. Okay. I would love to know, like, on NWA's album or any album, like, how many of them are samples? It's, I think it's all of them. But specifically, how many of them are James Brown samples? It's unreal. Even if they take little snippets, because maybe it's just a drum part or a horn part and they just loop it and loop and that becomes their beat it's even if it's a snippet it's just incredible never mind the 5,000 times he's been sampled or more but it's like all the times that aren't credited because if if they take it from his album it's considered a sample but if they just redo it themselves at the time it wasn't oh so you literally can do the exact same thing that he did the same beat the same funk the same timing the same everything but because they actually performed it it's not a sample which is really weird. It's different now. Right. But back then it wasn't. Okay. So he, you know, he. he um, another one I got to play is Give It Up or Turn It A Loose. Baby, give it up, turn it loose. <laughs> All right. A couple things I want to talk about, and I'll put this on in the background real quick. Um, before James Brown would appear on stage, I want to talk a little bit about his showmanship. He had in his own personal MC that would give him this elaborate <laughs> introduction. Have you ever seen a live James Brown performance? No, okay. but no. I was going to say, I know that you will frequently 
text us when you're at home watching YouTube videos of yep. certain songs that you like and you, you stumble upon. Yep. If I could ask you, please, to just pull up any of his live performances and just watch, they are hilarious in a good, fun, positive, yeah. holy smokes, I can't believe how energetic way this guy performs. You really owe it to yourself to see what this guy did. He, He's a showman. And what I'll say, though, is what I probably remember James Brown best from, Mike Smiley. Yeah, I know where you're going. Is Saturday Night Live, okay. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> yeah. Anytime that he yeah. did James Brown, I mean, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Because he was so easy to mock because he was so right. animated. I mean, he would jump up and do splits and flip around and still sing and move the microphone. But I, I, I just want to say this. Um, his introduction would go something like this. So now, ladies and gentlemen, it is star time. Are you ready for star time? Now remember, this is his MC that he would employ just to do his own introductions, okay? Thank you and thank you very kindly. It is indeed a great pleasure to present to you at this particular time the nationally and internationally known as the hardest working man in show business, the man that sings, I'll go crazy. Try me. You've got the power. Think if you want me, I don't mind. Bewildered, the million dollar seller. Lost someone, night train. Let's everybody shout and shimmy, Mr. Dynamite, the amazing Mr. Please, please himself, the star of the show, James Brown and the famous Flames. That's how it would open. Did, did Michael Buffer, the ring announcer, ever, <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> that like, kind of thing, yeah. That's kind of, kind of thing. Um, that, so we, we talked about Please Please Me. When he would do that song, or sorry, not Please Please Me, Please Please Please, which is this song here. Please, please. This song please, here. Please. He would get so worked up, his background group, please, The Flames, would sing. He would collapse on stage, and the MC guy would have to come back out, put this robe over him. <laughs> have you yep. ever seen that? Yeah. And bring him back to life. And basically either walk him off the stage for a little while and the crowd would be going crazy until he finally would come back on and finish the song. It was it was like like a spiritual revival kind of a thing right. to this song. Um, his band leadership was uh, epic. He demanded extreme discipline, perfection and precision from all of his musicians and dancers. He would find them if they missed a note he would find them if their shoes weren't shined. He would find them if they missed a step, if they were out of place. Like, it was ridiculous. How would he know? I mean, wasn't he they always to his choreographed back? everything. Oh. He wanted everything to be absolutely perfect. You have to be on time. You have to have your uniform. You have to have your stuff intact. You have to have your bow tie. You got to have it tied perfectly. Like, everything to the letter, to the T, was absolutely perfect. Um... In March of 1970, when he was 37, he fired his entire backing band because they were complaining about this system, so he fired them all. He then replaced them with these new group called the Pace Setters, which was led by uh, Brother Catfish and a guy called Bootsy Collins. You know oh, Bootsy Collins? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Bootsy Collins was 19, by the way. That's when they renamed the group the JBs. Uh, the first... And this will be my last song that I'm going to play you. The first song that the JBs actually released was this. Do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Such like a good a, tune. Like a sex machine, man. Yeah. Moving, doing it, you know. Yeah. Can I count it all? One, two, three, four. Get up. Get on. You know this one. Oh, yeah. Get I don't know this one. Um... 
last thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get a song to, uh, to go out, was, yes, he had a very strict policy for no drugs, no alcohol, for any member of his entourage, band members, or anyone that was surrounding the band. And anyone that disobeyed the orders would be fired. However... He I was, was just going to say, did, did, what was himself? Like, did he police okay, himself? So, clearly, no, no, he didn't do a good job of that on his own. Not at all. In fact, he was incredibly bad as far as drug use is concerned, drug abuse. In 1984, I'll tell you a couple of things real quick. Um, he married Adrian Lois Rodriguez and took up smoking PCP with her, um, basically angel dust. And um, she called 911 to report domestic violence 11 times. He was arrested three times and charged with assault with intent to kill, uh, possession of PCP, and resisting arrest. She stabbed a woman with scissors because she thought that James was having an affair with her. And a month later was arrested for um, setting James's clothes on fire in a hotel room. Two years after Adrian, his wife, um, tried to recover from a liposuction uh, surgery, he was mixing with her Demerol, Vicodin, Valium, Morphine, and the PCP, and she died of a heart attack, Jeez. which is pretty crazy. He uh, then got arrested because he was walking naked through someone's lawn, shooting a twenty-two caliber handgun. Not good. Two years after that, he, <laughs> the electric company repairman came to his house, and he chased that guy off with a pair of, uh, pair of scissors. And tried to kill him with... Oh, no, no, sorry, not scissors, a steak knife. Tried to kill him with a steak knife. Anyway, he didn't follow those rules himself, so he had a lot of trouble in that and was arrested many times. And basically drank himself to death, which is really sad. Died on Christmas Day 2006. But his music, I think, is so important. Maybe, I, I think for me... I didn't realize how big of a deal he was. I like James Brown's music. I, it's, it's so funky. I love his hits. I love the songs. Like they're, they're great, and some of them are really special to me, but I didn't realize how big of a deal he was to others. And I think the people that came after him that were inspired by him, whether, Mike, it's hip-hop and all the guys from rap that we follow, or whether it's just all the soul guys that come after too, I think he is the godfather. I get, I get the moniker. I really do now. So, you know, we did the um, 50s Mount Rushmore of rock, yep. right? Yep. And one of the ones I always want to do with you, maybe we still can, is the 60s Mount Rushmore of soul. Yeah, that would be, ja- oh, of soul, wow. Ja- James is George Washington. Oh, I mean, for sure. Right? He, he is the it most would, important he is. soul, um, you know, and funk artist of any generation. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Um so thank you for letting me do this one. I want to go out with one song that's really good. It's a little different. This is called The Boss. This is the JBs. This is later on. This isn't his uh, attempt at classical, is it? No. Okay. No. This this groove. This is Nas, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I know. What a great song. So with that, I will say, the Godfather of Soul. Thank you guys so much for letting me do this, and we'll see you next time. 